Welcome to Ethics Today. This is a podcast where we talk to people about what's going on in, in their lives and in the world today and try to get a better sense about how to live better lives. And today we are interviewing Kathy Tank and Christine Kortbein, who have just uh, written a book that's been published uh, this past week, Grief Imagined, 50 Creative Strategies to Rebuild Resilience. Kathy is a counselor and grief support specialist, and Christine is a specialist in art therapy. And thank you so much for being willing to talk about, about this new book. This is a fascinating project that you've been involved with. Could you just, one of you, tell us uh, just a little bit about the book, about the, what it's about and kind of the scope of it. Yeah, go ahead, Kathy, go ahead and start. Okay, okay. Well, um, the book uh, features 50 different strategies uh, for building resilience in times of loss. So that could be any kind of loss, like loss of a divorce, a change in life, maybe an empty nest, um, certainly death and dying as well. Um, and what we did is we ended up interviewing people from around the country um, and we wanted to dig deeper because, you know, we all talk a lot about self-care, like you want to eat well and exercise and, and um, have good support systems. But then we thought, well, what about the really creative stuff? And so the, the um, book was written with, you know, therapists, social workers, teachers, uh, helping profession people in mind as a resource, a grab and go kind of resource. It's very artistic, um, has lots of photos. And then it, uh, each strategy explained with a real life example uh, based on our interviews. Um, but we wanted to go beyond and just get truly creative because I think we saw that was a really uh, void in the, in the self-help book market. So not only a book to help inspire you and your friends and your loved ones, but also um, for the professional as a resource. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also think that we developed this guide uh, as a resource for really anyone that's looking to, um, you know, kind of enhance their life because what uh, I've noticed throughout my career is that people who sort of engage in rituals, um, that they find their own personal rituals seem to uh, build this, this strength and have this resilience that uh, provides them with uh, uh, a way to overcome little obstacles that come throughout their life. So, you know, loss can be graded on a huge gradient as deep losses and it's all different for everyone. And what is important with this manual is that, you know, there's no judgment on someone's loss, like that your loss is greater than uh, someone else's loss. But yet why, when you engage in some of these creative activities that you can find some solace uh, depending on, you know, what resonates with you. So we just started to find in you know, one story would lead into another story and uh, it, it just sort of all came together. Well, you seem to be suggesting that we shouldn't wait until we've had some really major loss in our life to then start trying to figure exactly. out how to deal with it, right? Right, right. Yeah. Well, and I think people only think of loss in terms of, um, you know, death of a loved one, where in the book it highlights, you know, you can have loss from moving to a new area. You can have loss of uh, some physical uh, you know, change or right. right. And, and, and there's a lot of losses at different stages of life that you, it's like a continuous process and to sort of just um, brush over aside, no one teaches you how to grieve. And that's, I think the important thing that we learned in this process is that, you know, people are just kind of fumbling along with loss and not a lot of people are going to go to a therapist. So what do you do if you're not the kind of person that engages in, an, in uh, contacting a different person to help you through the loss, what will you do to help you process things? And, and there are so many things that people haven't thought of. And so giving real life examples gives, it's really uh, helpful, I think, for people to see, oh, well, this is how someone else did. Instead of just talking about, oh, try this, we show people, here's people who actually went through this loss and here's how they coped. Well, you, one of the things that is so wonderful about this is you, um, you just show and kind of without really arguing against it, you kind of show that the, the stages idea of grief just doesn't, isn't true. That's not, right. that's not reflected in people's experiences, right? And so right. people have and, very and different ways of dealing with this. 
And I know, um, you know, I've listened to podcast of David Kessler, who was uh, a very much a part of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and the whole theory of stages. And they kind of even point out that really it's meant to be kind of architecture, that there's stages, but it's just sort of um, a plan to help you, you know, everyone sort of needs to have some sort of uh, box to put things in and and you know that there may or may not be stages for a person but one thing's for sure is that you know everyone needs to process it in some format everyone has a different way that they process but that's why these creative strategies are helpful for people because it's not the tried and true just go see a clinician or uh, you know here's some medication to help you through your depression until you get past this because you never really get over grief I think you learn to incorporate it into your life. And, and find meaning. And find meaning right. in it. And right. find meaning in it. Right. And so, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's the point that we want to uh, provide for people is that they can they can find a way to incorporate their loss into life and make it something meaningful for their life. Maybe grow and learn and obtain wisdom from their loss instead of just, oh, it's this sad thing that happened. Uh so the, these strategies um, are all illustrated by stories of real people that have, have right. used these strategies to deal with grief. Can you, can you share a couple of stories that you oh. find particularly meaningful? Sure. Um, gosh, there's, it's hard to know where to start, but um, one that comes to mind is called Sister's Dream. And we, it, it talks about a woman who, as a young mother with two children, she had a sister she was very close to. And one day she learns that her sister was hit by a drunk driver and she is severely brain damaged and will be for the rest of her life. And her sister was married at the time with two children. And so it talks about her whole journey. It's 30 years later now. So you, you don't, now they get to see the beginning part of it. You get to see the whole cycle of it. Um, and her creative strategy, um, which is told a lot more eloquently in the story than I can now, was she decides to get a college degree. And as she's doing this, it leads to a lot of healing and processing. And she starts a whole new career that was the impetus was going through this loss, this major loss in her life. Her sister lived and survived the accident, but ended up needing to be in a skilled nursing facility and is still there. So she's been there 30 years. Um, and is called Sister's Dream because all of a sudden it dawned on her, oh my gosh, this was my sister's dream to get a college degree, and now I'm living this out through her. And so that, uh, again, added more meaning and um, depth, and certainly she would always want her sister back if she had the choice between that education and new career that she started. But it still uh, was a way to uh, build resilience, transform herself, and become something new. So that's one example. Um, uh, another example, uh, we interviewed uh, Dana J. Bain, who is a comedian in Boston. And he's the guy that wrote the Coronavirus Rhapsody, which is a parody of the Bohemian Rhapsody um, that was all over the internet a few months ago. It's been viewed now by 100 million people. And when I interviewed Dana, um, I said, why did you do this? And he said, well, actually, I was just in my apartment and the news of the virus was coming out and I was a bit paranoid about it. And, you know, is this, um, is this just allergies or is this, you know, the virus? And he said, you know, for me, humor is what I use to bring people together to help myself feel better. And so humor is a creative strategy to get through the loss of a big change in his life. And he said, that's what I used to cope. And he saw that people from all over the world were writing to him and saying, this just cheered me up. This helped me so much. Um, and so that's another example of a story in the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, one you, of my favorite. Go, go ahead, Christine. Well, uh, just one really poignant at the end of the book. Uh, we feature uh, a story called Compassion in My Heart where I corresponded with uh, a death row inmate at San Quentin Prison um, named um, Jarvis Masters. And he's written two books. In fact, one of his books is, uh, was just reissued this August. Um, the bird, uh, I, I'm blanking the name of the title of the book, but it, it's a very touching tale. That bird has my wings. Right. <laughs> and a bit great. it's a very touching story about uh, he allowed us to share his story 
of uh, what, what it was like for him to lose his freedom. Um, you know, this is someone who's been on death row for over 30 years, almost 40 years. And what that experience was like from the very beginning to when he walked in and uh, the, the only thing he could work with was living in the now. And so what could he do now? And takes, the story takes you from what that experience was like from the very beginning to how he turned in, uh, he is actually a practicing Buddhist um, and was very inspired by Buddhist writings to become a practitioner of um, you know, uh, following uh, in Buddhist tradition and really just extends his heart. And that's, he fought everything that he does now, he sees it as part of, uh, you know, just having compassion for everything in his life. And so the story is so inspiring because when you think about someone who's lost everything, you know, their family and their freedom, their freedoms for everything, that they can still have this resiliency within themselves and he really embodies what resilience is because when you lose everything but you can still carry on he you know he, he continues to write and he works with a, a community young theater youth group to produce uh, advocacy type plays it's so inspiring to see someone that you know can ha lose everything but yet still uh, have this great resiliency for life and, and flourishes and flourishes as a human being. I mean, well, to the extent that he can. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of these stories you just shared are really stories of self-transformation, right? That, right. Where people, right. they they seek in some ways a kind of a new and, and maybe better version of themselves. And in, yeah. in, and that's the path to meaning that they're, right. that they're finding. Yeah, and I, I, I think we all, you know, you know, having a purpose in our life, but then sometimes when your purpose gets thrown off of what you think is you're supposed to be learning in life, I think that's what's proven through all these stories is things didn't quite keep going along in life as they thought uh, and things happened, but yet people found a way to incorporate this loss into their life to help them flourish as a human being. And, you know, that's a strong takeaway because we're, we're all, no one's immune from loss. Everyone in their life will have several losses throughout. Mm -hmm. And what, how are you going to choose to react mm -hmm. and, and not just react, but respond. And that's the key difference is I think of people who have chosen to respond and thoughtfully process their grief versus just reacting to it and passing it by. Like it's another experience in your life. And these people really have, showcase to us how important it is to, you know, be, be uh, aware and, 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 you know, take note of what's happening around you instead of running from it. So it's, you know, helped us learn ourselves, you know, doing the whole process has really enhanced us. I think Kat, Catherine would say the same thing. So is that, so you seem to be also suggesting that this is, um, the, the theme that goes through many of these stories of resilience is is finding meaning, right? Yeah. So, right. Could you say more about that? Because that's um, that that is something that all of us need to do in our lives. We need to do on a regular basis, right? Is find find um, kind of activities that are expressive of meaning. Well, one thing that really inspired us, and Christine mentioned it earlier, is David Kessler, who is the protege of Elizabeth Keebler Ross, and. And he, uh, she had approved his, you probably know this, Rick, as an ethicist, she has approved uh, finding meaning as the seventh, um, the seventh uh, stage. And again, these stages can come in any order and not everybody experiences every one. So it's meant to be a fluid um, process uh, of, of adapting to loss. But finding meaning um, really inspired us in the book because um, we focus so much on the depression, the anxiety, um, uh, but the more hopeful thing um, is the meaning and drawing and, and drawing it in and integrating. Um, you know, we, we don't talk about loss as something that letting a uh, letting go, but a, but a bringing in and bringing into your life. So uh, one story that um, was really touching to me was a young guy. He's 27 now and his name is Jacob and he lives in Denver, Colorado. And he, um, was um, just 11 years old and his twin brother died um, of a brain tumor. And so that was a very significant loss for him. And there's a lot of research on how losing a twin 
um, especially is a very, very hard loss for people because they're so connected to each other, um, biologically, uh, uh, psychologically, and so on. And so he, as a, as a kid, he said, I had no words, I had no way to process this. And his, his mom and dad were really, you know, they went through significant grief and still do. Um, but it wasn't until he was about 25 years old and he had had a breakup with his girlfriend and he was super upset about it more than you would typically expect someone to. And he says, I'll never forget this. I'm a bro totally broken. I'm at the, my mom's kitchen table sobbing my head off. And she said, I think uh, you're grieving your brother. Finally, you're ready to do this. And she thought, he thought, yeah, I need to bring my twin back into my life. And so he joined a support group called Twinless Twins. And now it's four years later and how this had helped him find so much meaning and understand his loss and understand how it has affected him, not only affected him negatively, but also positively and how it has changed him and had him become the person he is and how he can live with his brother. He doesn't, it's not necessarily that his brother is still with him in his, um, in his being. And so how to integrate that loss into his life to feel more whole and more connected to people. So it's a, I think that's a beautiful example of finding meaning in a really, really hard uh, loss. I'm fascinated by this idea of, of changing kind of the imagery of what's going on here emotionally from, a, from letting go to bringing in. Because letting go is, is the way we almost universally talk about dealing with loss. And you seem to be suggesting that this is, it's in, in a way the wrong metaphor because right. in, in that story, it seems to be that as long as it's focused on letting go, the, the, um, the law stays suppressed. Is that? Mm -hmm. And I think when you incorporate in what you are is you're just transforming the grief. So, you know, it, it, it's almost like this malleable substance that, you know, I think the metaphor, if you'd envision it is, uh, you know, it seems like this, this sad cloud but when you bring it in and incorporate it along with whatever creative you know strategies and rituals uh that resonate for you it sort of transforms it into the rainbow then that it's it, it you know brings light into your into your beingness right and that's why we decided and i know this is a trendy term but we decided to go with reimagined and grief reimagined as the title of the book because it just fits so well mm -hmm. and it's a good way to think about um grief is let's let's think about it as something different and something that as Christine so eloquently said you know is, is transformative um, there has been some research and they did a really great uh, national public radio they talked about a really great study where they took some um, participants in a room and they told them all one of you is going to win a hundred dollars or maybe it was two hundred dollars I can't remember now and so they, there was that buildup right so it's a buildup like oh I might win this money and they actually did do it. They handed the $200 to somebody. So there was a winner and there was a bunch of losers. And losing that money is a loss, you know, like, because you thought you might get it. <laughs> and, so, and so on a micro scale, that was a loss. And so they took the losers and they divided them into two groups. And one of them, they just said goodbye, you know, sorry, you lost. And the others, they said, why don't you write or draw a little something um, about your loss on a piece of paper? And they, the, the losers in this other group did that. And then they said, well, why don't you take some salt? Because salt is a great uh, ritual throughout history, you know, doing things with salt, throwing salt over your shoulder. And so they said, take some salt. And it was the silliest, goofiest ritual you can imagine. Write, your, write a little or draw a picture of the dollar bill, you, the $100 bill you lost. Um, throw some salt on it and rip it up. And just that simple intentional activity they fared much better. Uh, they felt much better um, about the loss than the ones that did nothing. <laughs> so I find that fascinating. <laughs> Taking some action is, 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 is more healthy for our, our psychological and physical well-being than doing nothing. Well, the uh, rituals tend to be the embodiment of these meaningful practices. And, um, and so often we, we keep, um, like loss and other things that trouble us, we keep them just internal in our head we're, we're, and they don't go anywhere. They just kind of spin around. Right, and that's where you get stuck on these tapes, like, oh, I'll never get over this. I'll never feel better. This means- the Rumination. Mm -hmm. Right, feeling like a victim or a victim of circumstance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that 
the, having some sort of ritual sort of catapults you into another realm so that you can start some movement. You know, you may be stuck in some kind of mud, but just getting out of your comfort zone. And that's why at the end of the book, you know, we kind of mentioned that if there's something that, you know, try anything, even if maybe it's something that you don't think would resonate with you, because just that act of getting out of your comfort zone can, you know, can create this sort of metamorphosis for you. As we get so stuck in our ideas and our ways, and the, and the way to transform yourself is sometimes to pull yourself out of your comfort zone. You know, we're so, as a human being, we love being comfortable because, of course, who wants to be in discomfort? Right. But and it doesn't have to be something super elaborate either. You know, one example is, is uh, forest bathing, which is originally right. a Japanese practice. Just go out and be in the woods, whether you're fishing or hunting or just walking. Right. Um, it's being very mindful, you know, when, think, right. Taking an, taking an action step versus not can make mm -hmm. a big difference. Right. Um, so I want to come back to this idea of reimagining grief. Um, uh, Daniel Gilbert, who's a psychologist who's studied happiness, written quite a bit about it. Right. Um, talks about how poorly we do at imagining um, both future happiness and future loss, what the impacts will be, and that the reality is often quite different from what we imagine. Mm -hmm. And I'm and I'm wondering if that's what you found in these stories too. That that like when people people came through loss um, in some ways better than they had imagined they would be at the end of it. Right. Yeah, I think I think people sometimes underestimate their abilities to heal themselves. And that's one thing we found throughout, you know, uh, finding all these stories is um, just the incredible loss, but how, uh, how, how wonderfully people learn, have this innate facility within themselves, they have agency to, to be great healers. And we're always trying to put the onus on someone else or something else to help us. When really, if you just turn within, the answers are there. You just need to, you know, find that process that works for you and how, you know, what resonates with you. And, and that's the, the idea behind this. And, you know, there are obviously hundreds more rituals and strategies uh, beyond what's listed in our book. And this is just a kind of a microcosm of what can help uh, you, but you know, this, the, like we said, the stories, we hear one story and then someone say, well, did you hear about the person who did this or, and you know, it's just like a ripple effect is once you start out, you get out there looking for certain types of stories, they just started kind of falling into us. In fact, we have so many more stories now, we've started a little collection of a book two version of starting all of these. Um, so it's just endless of where you could go. So the hope is that maybe uh, some of these rituals, someone or strategies, someone might engage in, but that, you know, they'll find an offshoot of this. So maybe they don't forest bathe, but they like to plant trees somewhere. So it, the idea is not that the end isn't this, just these 50 strategies. Uh, it's that they can learn to enhance these strategies in any way that resonates with them. And to answer the other part of your question, Rick, um, I would say yes, that a lot of the stories, they start out like when you just only read part one of the story, it can sound very, very bleak. <laughs> you know, whether it's a, it's a death or a, a horrible situation. One woman I'm thinking of, she lost, she, her leg was amputated at age 13 and she was an athlete. And it sounds very sad and very bleak, but then when you hear the rest of it, <laughs> the you know, how she, how things end up, you see a whole different picture. So are there, did, did, in talking with these people, because you've got 50 stories, 50 strategies, but are there, were there some strategies that seem especially effective? And I'm just sort of kind of, could you give some examples of some more strategies? Because you mentioned, I think, writing um, and, and so forth, but are, are there some other kind of things that are, that, you found to be really effective that we could recommend to people to look to consider. Right, we talked about um, nature. We've talked about a little bit about art writing. Um, um, one 
one thing that I think sometimes when you're in deep grief, it's really hard to focus. And we had a woman who lost her husband and was helped by um, audiobooks because she could pay attention to audiobooks, um, which just sometimes you have to get through the moments too, the little moments that lead up to, to um, being in a better place, you know? So sometimes you, like, like Christine said about the uh, Jarvis Mavis, Masters, you just, sometimes you just do what you can do in that moment. So audiobooks or um, there's lots of meditation apps that people can try. Um, Christine, you want to add to that? Yeah, and I would say that, you know, the three themes um, that we seem to be the most effective, if you were going to, you know, answer that with a, a direct answer, arts, animals, and nature seem to have the most transformative effect on people. And the arts meaning anything. It can be, you know, theater, music, writing, uh, all of the, the arts, capital A, uh, animals have a huge effect on people and being out in nature. And if you could have a recipe for a person, I mean, I, I, I always felt like if, if there was a true therapist, if you could just give them the prescription of immerse yourself in the arts, try to be around the animals that you enjoy, and that's the key point, or watching it, maybe it's some watching animals on television, and being in nature, the arts, animals, and nature always seems to have some sort of effect on people. And I noticed that, I've, I've noticed that as a theme, no matter where, when you read a book, when you see something uh, in documentaries, um, you know, people will like Wild. I think of the transformative stories of walking in nature, like the book Wild by Cheryl Strayed, and uh, you know, all kinds of, I mean, the animal stories, of course, are numerous that have transformed people's lives, but uh, it, it's really sort of uh, highlighting how that that is our nat our true nature you know our our beingness always wants to fall back on uh being in nature immersed in the in, immersed in creativity and engaged with the other beings that are around us and so right there is is uh your great and, and to add to add to that um uh, i think doing intentional intentional activities so like you think with families and moving, maybe bury a time capsule, maybe plant a tree, maybe um, these can be, maybe um, I had one story of a family that had to move a lot. And so they did what's called, uh, called baking your sadness day. On the first day of the house, the first thing they did is set the kitchen and the kids and the parents baked together and um, talked about their, their feelings. So you have that getting, getting um, secondary activities going that, that make it easier to talk about the primary activity you know, discussing the, the emotional um, aspects of, of big changes and losses. And so I think those three things, the animals, nature, I'm sorry, what was the third are, <laughs> And then also uh, two, like home altars, um, yeah. you know, doing yeah. things yeah. that where you, you can, whatever brings you strength, you know, mm -hmm. we certainly have found people uh, tapping into the spiritual side of themselves. Mm -hmm. There's lots of right. stories about that and right. how that really... Right. And um, I think the, the interesting, oops, sorry. The interesting point too is that we don't always share this, these stories with other people because, you know, grief and loss can be sort of a personal um, process. And so it's not something that you necessarily tell other people about. And I think that's the important part of the book is that by sharing these stories, um, you know, the, the, these people were so kind in uh, their vulnerability to share this with the world. Um, and to to give insight into their process because you know sometimes it's a very personal thing to to show your vulnerability of how um, you know you, you might have been depressed or at a loss or had a very uh, down period in your life we don't always want to share that with other people and so um, you know by revealing this part of themselves we learn about that there are a lot of other people who experience these losses. We all know that, but to hear their stories and to see the transformation, I think is an important part of the transformation is, is the hearing and, and, other and, stories, not just telling a theory of what we think will help you. It's these are people who've experienced this. Mm -hmm. And this, I would imagine even telling the story to you was was healing right therapeutic sure people. cathartic exactly and you know the stories aren't very long um they're they're 500 words or less because in the intention was 
we don't want to like bog you down in the details of what happened in this, you know, word every detail of the story. We want to give you the essence of here's the story. Um, and then here's what can work. So get out there and get into it. And so, you know, without going into great detail, uh, it, it gives, it also, I think, allows the reader uh, the opportunity to create their own version of what would work for them by just giving the small details. Because I think if we go, would go too in depth, it's too much of a, a, a memoir. And well, you know, they did this because they had all this other help from other people. Mm -hmm. uh, but by giving just the small, short version of the story, you can say, well, I could see where that might work for me. And right. that or if you're in the helping profession, um, you know, I know myself as, a, as, you know, working with kids, being a school counselor, working with parents, I always was needed like a creative boost. Like what else could I, could I, yeah. you know, could we bring, could we bring as possibilities for certain issues and challenges? Right. Yeah. The hope is to eventually mm -hmm. use the book, you know, in the therapeutic field where, someone it could be a tool that you could sit down together and say you know let's look through this and what would work for us let's just try something out of the book and in fact i kind of joked with Catherine about that it would be fun to have a book club where you know every week or every month you tried one of the strategies because if you would do it as a group something sometimes things aren't as threatening um you know if you wanted to try forest bathing and you said okay well this week we're going to go all get out and we're going to appreciate uh the forest this time or you know this time we're going to all make a home altar together but how fun that would be is even if you did it as a group as a family so whatever your tribe is whatever your unit is that you could go through the book as a resource to you know take a strategy a, a week or a month and, and actually get out there. So to give you a little boost of ideas. I want to come back once again to this, this idea of letting go versus um, kind of bringing in. And uh, the, I think the kind of natural response that so many of us have to pain is to withdraw from it. Right. And, um, and we can withdraw into isolation, um, stop engaging in social activities. Um, but also drugs and alcohol mm -hmm. are, are ways that we have of withdrawing, right? And, right? and I know that some of your stories are, are people who tried using these kind of methods to deal with pain or loss. Um, and yet it seems like the, the, what we have to do is not to withdraw, but to go further in, always push ourselves in deeper as a way of, of transforming ourselves. Otherwise, because the withdrawal just doesn't work, right? Right, right. And, and I think that's the premise of, you know, being mindful, which is, um, you know, very much a buzzword now in, in uh, society of trying to be mindful about everything is that when you're mindful about things, you're, you, you don't resist, you, you stop and be curious about it. And, and the one important um, premise of when we're trying to be mindful about things is, is to not resist things because it seems like resistance just you know causes more. Uh, uh, it, it gives it gives fuel to whatever feeling and emotion you're having. And if you stop and can can view it from a, a, a someone who's looking down on it and being curious about what is it I'm feeling because you know to to get over it you know any emotion you have to first have the awareness to identify what it is. Well well, this, this sadness, well, this, it feels kind of achy or it feels, and if you identify it and say, well, that's a curious thing, you know, I wonder how it feels like this. When you take that curiosity approach, the interesting thing is often you'll find that's when the emotion passes. Um, if like anything, the more you resist it, the more it presents itself. And if you take the time to just stop and watch, uh, like the voyeur, of well, what is this emotion? What is this feeling? Instead of judging it all the time, because we are this culture, you know, we're probably one of the first cultures that's learned to have feelings about our feelings. And well, I shouldn't be sad now. It's been how many months? Uh, you know, I sh I should be over this by now. And that's really important because, you know, having that idea that you have feelings about your feelings, well, now you're super judging yourself. You're not just judging yourself for what you are, where you're at. You're judging it because you're judging certain feelings about judging those feelings. 
So to get out of that, the only way to get out of that is to step outside yourself and just be curious about all those. Uh, one, one practical example I can give you is um, in, from the book is uh, there was a woman who had some, a couple of tough losses. You know, she lost her mother at a young age. She lost her grandmother. And, you know, the instinct is to like put everything away. <laughs> I don't want to really think about it. But instead of doing that, she started making her, her mother's and grandmother's recipes. And, 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 and doing that was very, you know, bringing that in, bringing that into her life, adding it to her life, adding their, their uh, presence, um, she found much more helpful than uh, rejecting it mm -hmm. and trying to forget about them and just moving on and getting to the next, you know, thing. Yeah. So. What's one example? So, well, this is interesting. So there's these the two movements you're talking about. One is like getting a distance perspective on your own life, which kind of is a, you're able to recalibrate your emotions. There, right. there was a British philosopher, um, Edward Bullock, who wrote about psychical distance. And he talked about the experience of being in a, a ship in a, in a really dense fog and how frightening it is because there's so many dangers but then if you could look at it aesthetically um, and just oh, and the experience of the fog, yeah. then you start having a very different emotional response right. to the yeah. same when you thing. pause, right. when you pause right. and, and then, think about yeah, it. That illustrates brilliantly the, the being mindful and you are just in the moment. And that's part of this being the witness is what not you judging are. It, not judging yeah. it. Yeah, right. You're the witness. yeah, you're just being curious about it. So you're not judging that feeling like, uh, you know, oh, I, I'm angry, and, and why am I angry? Or, you know, I shouldn't be angry about this by now, or, or, or yes, I have the right to be angry. So instead of making all those judgments, sitting back and saying, oh, anger's going by, okay, and then here's sadness, and it's okay. Because as soon as you start putting the resistance, oh, you know, I shouldn't be sad about this anymore, or, you know, that just, it just uh, seems to exacerbate whatever it is uh you're you're resisting so when you get in there when we when we interviewed caregivers you know, people that give care whether they're nurses or or whatever role they're in um we found like when they take moments to um pay attention to their feelings that was a very helpful thing so whether they did a little ritual after one of their patients died or or something similar to that it was it was super helpful mm-hmm yeah, and we even have a, a story, too, about thinking of a quiet tribute because, you know, not everyone is that sort of extrovert that wants to get out there with a group of people or, um, you know, do things that are, uh, you know, outside themselves. And there's a story uh, of one contributor who just felt like he wanted to have his own little personal quiet tribute. And we give some examples, too, of other ways that you can have a more introverted quiet tribute. So it doesn't have to be an out there thing. So whatever fits your style of being, a lot of you want to do things together. Some of you want to do uh, strategies on your own uh, to build your own resilience. So it, right. it was amazing. And this whole idea of this continuum, masculine, feminine, grieving styles, and it's quite interesting. There's, so there's no real one formula, is there? You know, there's no real right. one. No. I don't think we came up with one perfect approach for everybody and that's why there's 50 different <laughs> yeah. ideas right there's this um beautiful passage i was thinking about this as you as you were talking about um different kinds of loss there's the passage in saint augustine where he talks about the loss of a friend and how it's um it's like losing a part of oneself because the the friend the friend was somebody who he had grown up with and so had really had become part of himself. They both become who they are together. Mm -hmm. And then, so losing the friend was like losing half of himself. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it seems to me that the way in which he eventually um, deals with that is to become a new person himself, like uh, through the forming of new friendships, but he has to, he has to push forward to then, like become a different self in a way. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if there's these, there's these ups and downs where we go through these significant um, um, losses, but then there's always uh, some kind of growth in response. I'm just thinking the way you talk about creativity and meaning and so forth, there's, 
there's so much of the regeneration imagery at work in what you're talking about yes. in the strategies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, right. And, and, and really, uh, creativity, well, of course, you know, that it's taking, you know, what's out there and, and making your own sort of unique version of that, it being creative about anything is, it's sort of our, 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 the, the genesis of our being is based on creativity and creation and creativity. And so we work a little bit removed as a society. I feel from creativity, you know, we're, we're definitely the tech uh, world has, you know, we're now observers instead of engagers. And so to pull yourself back into creative engaging in the world and through creative means, I think is important for us. Of course, you know, an external creation, whether it's through the arts or, or right. physical activity or whatever right. creates internal transformation. Right. So, right. you know, you, you, you do something to become something different. Right. Um, whether it's reading books intellectually or, right. or physically or, or creatively, you, this is how, this is, these are the means. So the strategies essentially, Rick, you hit it right on, you know, these are means for transformation and becoming something new. Maybe not something better, and maybe not something, uh, but something different, but sometimes something better and sometimes something more towards your authentic self. And so these are ways of building resilience, but resilience doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean one completely recovers from the loss either, right? Right, right. right. That was a theme again and again and again, is that you had to bring that loss into your life and you live with that loss, but it, it changes you. We've been here at Viterbo, we've been having Holocaust survivors come in and speak every year for the oh. past 15 years and then wow. doing some workshops with teachers. Mm -hmm. But early on, I think it was our second or third year, um, we brought in a, a survivor named Nessie Godin. She was, she was pretty well known. Um, and, uh, she, she gave this wonderful talk. She was full of just, just light and life and just wonderful. And, um, and of course she was, she's meeting with students and she's talking to them and she's happy. And she tells a story of real horror, but then she moves on to, you know, all the things that she's done. And like many of the survivors, she, she learned to tell her story only when her children had grown up. Like there was a certain point at which she right, was ready to right. tell the story, right? Right. Um, but then somebody asked her, how can you, like, how can you be so full of, of light and, and love? And uh, she says, well, right now I'm here with all of you and I see your smiling faces and, and we're together. Um, but she says, then tonight I'll, uh, I'll go back home and I'll, I'll go to sleep and that's when the nightmares come. And so there was like, she had, I think, found a real way of dealing with this significant loss and suffering, a, a collective loss um, and personal, but, um, but it never really left her completely. I mean, right. she was a different person because of it. Right, right. So you try to find purpose through it and meaning through it, but it doesn't necessarily fix you or Right, you're the not. The loss over. changes. The loss forever changes you. You can't. You can't go through any loss, especially a profound loss like that, and not be different than you were mm -hmm. before. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think sometimes the problem is sometimes people get caught up in uh, the 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 feeling like no one understands them, you know, and understands well my loss, and nobody ever will because nobody's you, and so nobody will know exactly how this feels for you. And so that's where you do have to take some agency in your life to figure out what's helpful for you. Because, you know, whether you see a therapist or, you, you know, you, you uh, t tackle this in some therapeutic method, you still have to do all the work yourself. And so by engaging in uh, some finding the ways that help you build resilience. And I think what happens is these people find this strategy uh, of resilience and they can apply it to other parts of their life. So, you know, maybe this is something that helped them through the loss of their mother, but then you realize, well, you know, maybe not this exact activity, but that you build this, you build a confidence that, well, okay, I survived this. 
you know, then I can tackle the next thing. Mm -hmm. So the more that you create these little uh, ideas for yourself of how, what could be cathartic for you, mm -hmm. um, then you can use that in other, you know, can just ripple effect to everything else in your life. And the more you find all these little key things that help you, if you know, you're, you're, you're and, definitely. And, and it's not, and as you say, building resilience, it's, it's not about waiting for the loss to come either, because, you know, we, we did, as I mentioned, we mentioned earlier, we talked about other kinds of loss, like climate change that can feel right. like a loss to people. Um, we, we, we did interview, um, Susie Favor Hamilton, that some of you may know or recognize as a Olymp former Olympian runner, on loss of reputation. So, and that can be a very uh, significant loss for people. So there's loss of friendships, um, and that doesn't always have to be due to death, but there can be loss of reputation, right. climate change, um, circumstances beyond our control. Maybe some people are not going to be happy with the outcome of the election uh, next month, you know, and they'll feel a loss of that. And mm -hmm. so they need to somehow take care. It's good to have strategies um, of taking care of yourself. Well, and we're, we're right now we're undergoing this collective loss of a kind of way of life. And, and right, exactly. Like losing places where, we're, where we used to go and gather with friends mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, now, you weren't, you weren't writing this to prepare us to kind of deal with the pandemic. <laughs> no. This no. Long before. How, how long have you been engaged in working on this project? So, so it, it, what it morphed from is um, I was taking what's called a grief support specialist uh, certificate program at UW-Madison. And my professor had written about 12 books on loss. And uh, through the course of this, the COVID really happened through the course of this project that started in February. And so as a class, collectively, we were online and we were from all different parts of the country and some uh, international participants, all experts on grief. And um, I was preparing to do some hospice uh, social work at Gunderson Health Systems. Um, and so the final project was a book outline. And I knew Christine had her art therapy skills. She's quite creative and artistic. And so we partnered up myself as the primary writer and her and then but COVID was something of a loss that turned into a positive because without it we couldn't have contacted all of these people <laughs> especially more popular busy right. musicians yeah. and, and yeah. types that would be out and about they're sitting around in the pajamas like we were <laughs> so it was very fortuitous for us uh, that we were uh, in this uh, quarantine uh, lifestyle uh, to be able to conduct all of these interviews we did I believe we did 100% of everything remote, didn't we? Through phone calls and... Yep. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So what, could you, like, what, are, what were some of the most unusual strategies that you came across for people <laughs> That we haven't mentioned yet. Yeah. Well, I would say one interesting, I mean, and... In, in, and maybe not so unusual, but I just loved the application for it was uh, the loss of a pet. And they, um, oh, yeah. they embodied <laughs> it in his and hers tattoos. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, that was the first pet that they had had together. And, and so it, it's cute to see that the, the, the really cute thing is to see the picture, uh, you know, of the, the, the dog loved its ball and the tattoo artist exactly mimicked the same picture on this on the person's body uh for a tattoo but i thought that was pretty creative because you know i know there's a lot of memorial tattoos for human beings but then right. pets was a whole nother another I, I i will tell rick because he might know some of the players in this story i'll tell the lacrosse story um there's a group in lacrosse called the cut-ups and they've been meeting uh regularly for the last 20 years uh sewing quilts and so they have this tradition that's really cool. And I would say it's fairly unusual, not only for the longevity of the group, but for the service they provide. So um, when someone's in need, so the one the story that I profiled was someone who had, had been going through a divorce. And she told me at the time, this is several years ago now, but reflecting back on it, she said it was such a sad time. And I didn't know, I felt kind of alone. All my friends were married. I felt, um, I didn't know, you know, and she just was felt feeling un unwell. And um, so her friends got together 
and this is, and they, of course, they were sad too because that's a change in a loss for them, a divorce. And they saw the cutups for technical support, and they made her a quilt with all of their thirteen names embroidered around the quilt, and they gave it to her. And so, fifteen years later, she says that quilt is such a testimony to friendship, and it meant so much to me. And I thought that was a beautiful um, idea. And the cutups have helped a lot of people over the years, and um, and that's a wonderful strategy. Mm -hmm. to help someone feel less alone and you help yourself too by giving and you yeah. about it too. And that combines in a way it combines two of these strategies one is to do something creative with your hands but the other right. is to do something right. for another right exactly exactly right right right, yeah. right. Giving right. Meaning. right right yeah it's a win-win situation yeah we, there was a lot of paradox um that we saw where the more you give and help others the more it comes back to you and it helps you as well and that was a one of my, I think that's my favorite lessons from the book is uh, the giving aspects. Mm -hmm. So I am more excited about reading this book than before. <laughs> I will bring it over. <laughs> that's, that's, well, well, if you if you weren't going to bring it over, how would I get? <laughs> how, how I'll, hold it up, I'll hold it up and you tell them how yeah, they great. can get this book. Okay. So, yeah, the book is available uh, at Christine, for right now, it's Christine Cortbine. Uh, so the first name, C-H, it, it, well, it's on the book title, but, and I know, Rick, you mentioned that um, you're going to put it in the... Yeah, I'll put it in the podcast description. Yeah, right, so people right. have the link. Right, and so, um, and this is a limited edition printing because we're, we're hoping uh, to, to get this out to some publishing houses to see if they'd like to take it, the book on and... Um, you know, publish it in bigger numbers and, you know, try to get it out to a, a larger scale audience. And, and we'll, we'll try the best we can to market this, uh, to get it to as many people as we can. But we, we do want to, uh, you know, find a, a publishing house. It's very, it's, yeah, it's very um, colorful. There's a lot of pictures. <laughs> so, <laughs> easy read. <laughs> yeah, easy read. Yeah, it's not, it's not any, you know, you read one story or a couple stories every night and, well, it's not a theoretical book. It's a very practical no. book, isn't exactly, it? Exactly. Right. We have some citations, right. and, and um, if we cited any research, we cited, but mostly it's just stories. Right. And we, it's, it's not yeah. what works for me or you, or yeah. it's, it's other people's stories. And the idea is, too, that maybe this would be a gift. You know, when others experience loss, we're often at a loss for what to do for this person. And so the idea maybe was that, too, this could be a resource that, um, you might give to someone to help comfort them and that, you know, maybe this would accompany the, the casserole that you give to someone at the loss of a loved one. Or um, if you know someone's going through a hard time, you might be able to send this book to them to just help them give them ideas just to sort of well, plant I, a few seeds. And that's wonderful because that's one of the really hard things is knowing what to say to somebody. Right. Who, Right. You lost. And, but yeah. I think giving them something like this would be a very right. thoughtful gift, but also right. be very right. practical. Yeah, because it's not a hard read. It's very, it's short stories filled with, you know, lots of color and photos and ideas for lots of other things. And so it's a perfect kind of a, uh, this will get you through for now type of thing. And then you could follow it up with, hey, you know, are you interested in and let's try something together. That would be a great way as a friend. I mean, I would feel so comfortable if I gave it to my girlfriend that was experiencing loss and calling and saying, boy, did anything resonate with you? And it would be fun to do it together. And maybe she could tell you what, oh gosh, I was really you know, excited to read about the baking thing. Let's get together and do something. I said, yeah, that would be great. So gives you sort of a, a tool to work with too when you're dealing with anyone with loss. Well, that's great. Well, thank you both so much. This yeah, is a fascinating you. talk. Thank you very thank much, Rick. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Okay. All right, hope you enjoy the book, too. <laughs> okay.